In what will be the first major update in more than 40 years, pet owners will soon find updated packaging and labels when shopping for pet foods and specialty pet food products. This week, the Association of American Feed Control Officials, also known as AFCO, approved the new suggested labeling guidelines. These are guidelines that will ensure consistency and transparency and allow consumers to more easily make more informed buying decisions for their pets. Welcome to Feedstuffs in Focus, our podcast taking a look at the big issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and animal feed industries. I'm your host, Sarah Muirhead. Here to give us more details on these changes that are coming to your pet food shortly, we have with us Austin Thurell, Executive Director of AFCO. Now, passage of the revised model regulations for pet food and specialty pet food, they set a new standard for pet food manufacturers and distributors. Before we dig into kind of the actual changes and what all that means for manufacturers and distributors, talk to us a little bit about why these changes were needed and how consumers and the pet food industry, for that matter, you know, will benefit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in, um, in 2015, AFCO kind of started this, this long journey of, uh, of modernizing the, the model pet food regulations. And um, certainly, you know, at that time, we kind of heard remarks from consumers and from, you know, our, our uh, advisors within industry that partner with us um, that, you know, hey, maybe it's time to start making some changes here. These, uh, these model pet food regulations haven't been updated in uh, 40 something years. So um, we started that journey to try and figure out, you know, exactly what that would look like and what kind of changes needed to be made. Um, and, and I think that, you know, over the course of the last eight years in that, that process that we've gotten to a, a part where um, what was approved this past week at our annual meeting is, um, you know, will provide a lot more clarity and transparency to consumers. Um, it's something that will look a little bit more familiar um, to a human food label with a nutrition facts box. Um, and, and I think overall it'll help consumers make better buying decisions and, and have that information more readily displayed on their pet food labels. So talk to us about some of the major changes that, uh, that come under these revised guidelines. What should consumers be, be aware of? What's going to change? So, yeah, there's a, a ton of changes. I'll kind of, you know, highlight some of the bigger ones that I think, but um, obviously, like I mentioned, there's going to be a new nutrition facts box um, that will similar will be similar to what people see at the grocery store. And they look at that nutrition facts box on the food that we eat. Um, they have added a unit of familiar household measure, whether that's a can, a measuring cup, um, a treat or a piece. The, in that nutrition facts box, there will now be a new calorie content statement will be required there, as well as new guarantees for total carbohydrates. Uh, and for dietary fiber. Um, it's also that facts box will contain the nutritional adequacy statement. So it'll be in a really easy to, to see space right there. So everyone knows and can easily identify whether the product they're purchasing is complete and balanced. Um, and, and they've also made some exemptions for um, small and very small packaging um, when it comes to that nutrition facts box as well. So um, one of the other big changes I think is that uh, there's a new the intended use statement will be required on the bottom 30% area of the principal display panel. Um, and that will be a really clear statement that uh, is, you know, so if something like um, food products are intended to be the complete diet for all life stages, 
um, will, in size of a pet or specialty pet, will say, you know, complete dog or cat food on the front of the package. Um, and, you know, similar to, you know, there will also be other statements for treat or supplement and so on. So um, those statements will be really good. Um, and then as far as, um, you know, they've added some voluntary safe handling instructions that um, are now, uh, you know, they're optional. But if someone wanted to put those on a package, they would um, like refrigerate or separate from human food. Um, there's some very clear guidelines on how someone should add those items onto the package now. And then in regards to the ingredient statement, they added some clarifying language that um, vitamins can be added by their consumer recognized names, and they can also be listed in parentheticals um, as, as part of a, a vitamin or mineral premix. So um, those, those are some of the big changes that I think people will, will notice here, uh, you know, over the next couple of years as, as industry begins making some of these changes. Now we know these things don't uh, don't happen quickly. I know some of our listeners will know how how the AFCO and regulatory process tends to work. So walk us through kind of what what all went into making these changes to some 40-year-old regulations and and what too might be say they the next steps. Do these have to be adopted then at each state level or or what is uh, what's ahead? Yeah, so like I mentioned, that, that process started in 2015 with AFCO's Pet Food Committee, um, and they were kind of given the charge to, you know, to review the model pet food regulations and, and update them, and uh, that's, a, that's a big undertaking. So they kind of, you know, um, that committee is made up of regulators and um, advisors from, from different industry trade associations, and they, they formed a work group and began kind of talking that over and deciding, you know, which, which changes need to be made and what areas were uh, maybe they should prioritize. Uh, so that, that took, you know, over eight years, that one large work group um, kind of morphed into several smaller work groups that focused on, you know, certain different pieces of those regulations, um, like handling and storage instructions, uh, the nutrition facts box, the ingredient statement, the intended use statement, and so on. And so each of those work groups kind of, you know, focused on those sections and brought recommendations back to the one large work group. And um, they also conducted consumer research throughout that time as well. So in 2018, 2019, and in 2022, um, we, we conducted consumer research to make sure that the changes that those work groups were recommending, uh, you know, made sense and that consumers were tracking with those. Um, and we kind of obviously, you know, with that, you know, kind of have to go back to the drawing board a, a couple different times. So, so that um, ultimately, you know, that accumulated and again, you know, here in the past week that we, we voted to approve those. So those work groups, it's a, a multi-step process that the work groups make a recommendation back to the committee. Um, the committee has to uh, vote on that recommendation and they also had to vote jointly with AFCO's Model Bill and Regulations Committee, um, which is where those model pet food regulations kind of live within our framework. And those recommendations, once passed, they come to the Board of Directors. The Board of Directors reviews that recommendation. That goes to the AFCO general membership. And that's who recently um, had the final say-so this past week in Baltimore at our annual meeting. So what's the what's the next step when it comes to approval and getting these through? I think you mentioned it might be a couple of years. So so certainly they are approved right now. Um, anyone within industry could certainly begin making packaging changes to um, to you know reflect the new model pet food regulations. 
Um, but, but realistically speaking, AFCO is, is recommending a six-year enforcement discretion period to, to our members. Um, so what that means is um, that, that kind of six-year period will start um, based off of the print date of our 2024 official publication, which will be around January. And once that happens, you know, we, we encourage all of our state members to begin in, you know, their registration licensing processes within each state to accept um, pet food labels that, you know, meet the new model regulations, as well as, you know, the old labels that follow the old model pet food regulations, because we, we understand that there's certainly, you know, um, change over time that's needed for, for packaging and software and marketing and, you know, all of those fun things. Um, that it's, it's a big undertaking. So um, we, we think that that'll start happening over the course of the next six years. And all of our state members will also, you know, during that six year time, uh, start, you know, their rulemaking processes in each state. Um, so that looks slightly different. Those, um, those legislative sessions are a little bit different in each state. And so they'll, they'll work through their own state processes to get those adopted. Um, but, but we expect, you know, hopefully in the next six years that all of that will have taken place and everyone will, will, will have uh, some good uniformity and harmonization among state, state pet food regulations. There is, a, there is a chance though, right, that as an individual state opens up to update its rules that it could put in some other things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, state legislatures are uh, they're an animal on their own sometimes. And so that that always is a possibility. Um, but but I, I'm not too worried about that. I, I think that there is a lot of support um, from, you know, our side on AFCO as well as industries has been such a collaborative process. Um, you know, our, our, our partners at AFIA and, you know, Pet Food Institute and the National North American Renders Association, um, there's a there's a lot of different uh, groups that have been involved in this process and put a lot of um, a lot of work into this. So I, I think that there will be a lot of support um, on those you know in those state processes to make sure that it remains consistent to, as to what it is now. There's also some discussion out there about maybe taking these regulations and taking them out of the control of each state and maybe putting them with USDA or some national uh, regulatory body. Is that something that has potential or where is AFCO on all of that? Yeah, we, we've certainly, uh, you know, heard some, uh, you know, some some thoughts out there about uh, more of a, a federalized regulatory system, if you will. And, um, you know, our, our current two kind of, I want to say two, two party, two tiered regulatory system with FDA and the states jointly working together um, to regulate, you know, uh, livestock feed as well as pet food. Um, works really well. Um, it, you know, there it, it doubles the resources that um, that you know those agencies have across the country, um, and it's a really not as not as only does it double the resources, but it doubles the, the expertise that you know F, the FDA has as well as all the states. So um, it, you know, it works really really well. Um, I think it's efficient and, and honestly, I think that, you know, having a, um, the, the close partnership between states and FDA to regulate feed um, is really the best pathway forward. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens, but, but AFCO is certainly, um, you know, in favor of, of that two-tiered system and, and thinking of ways, you know, hey, that we can continue to make this better, um, to make it more efficient, um, 
you know, both for, for regulators, but also for industry, because we, we certainly want to, um, you know, support innovation um, and, and growth within the industry as much as possible. Any other things we should know about AFCO's Pet Food Label Modernization Initiative? Yeah, yeah, Sarah. So I, I think, you know, with any um, process of this magnitude that this large with so many different changes that um, we, we certainly know that there, there may be edits that will need to be made over the next few years as, as people really get under the, you know, underway with implementation and making these changes. So um, we're, we're aware of that and ready to kind of come back to the committee and, and make any changes as necessary. So, um, you know, it would be um, kind of, uh, it would be surprising to me if we passed something this large and it was absolutely perfect from the get-go. So. Um, there's still probably some more work to be done. Still an ongoing process, of course. So let's uh, let's switch gears just for a, a quick sec here and and get a, a couple quick updates, if you don't mind. There are topics that have come up in other conversations I've had this week, and people are like, I'm not really sure where we're at on that. So so the the topics are hemp in animal feed, and the other one is insect meals for animal feed. So. Where are they in that whole regulatory process or, or what does SAFCO, are they looking at it or where are you guys at? Yeah, so there's definitely some uh, some movement on, on that front. Um, certainly, you know, we have, uh, there there is a, a submission right now that I'm aware of for hemp seed meal for laying hens. Um, and that has currently, you know, been submitted through the AFCO process and is in the hands of FDA Center for Veterinary Medicine for that review. Um, is kind of going back and forth, uh, you know, a couple of times with just some additional follow-up and questions for um, maybe some more data or a few, you know, to answer a few questions that FDA had. Um, but I have heard a lot of promise that it's it's moving along, and I would expect, you know, in the in the future to see that that um, you know a recommendation back to AFCO for that to pass. So um, that's that's with him, um, and I think certainly you know that may open the floodgates for for other things as well. So I would encourage that. The hemp industry to continue, you know, putting in the research and, uh, you know, that's needed to support the safety of a lot of those ingredients. Um, and then as far as um, the other insect ingredient goes, uh, black soldier fly larvae um, certainly have been around for a little bit. Um, and we, it's currently approved, um, at least black soldier fly larva oil is approved already for um, swine, fin fit, and swine and fin fish as an energy source. Um, and then dry black soldier fly larvae themselves are approved for uh, salmonids, poultry, swine, and adult dog food. So um, that kind of, you know, paves the way for, I think, for some other insect ingredients. Um, this past week at our annual meeting, we also approved a tentative definition for dried uh, crickets. And um, so, so that one is, uh, you know, kind of out there as well now. So um, I think that we'll continue to see some additional insect uh, ingredients come to the market, and uh, it's exciting to see some uh, some new innovation there in, in that that category. Exactly. So, any other big news coming out of the AFCO meeting, or anything that uh, folks need to know about what AFCO's up to? We we had uh, quite a bit of discussion this past week um, about uh, copper levels and and dog food. Um, we've discussed uh, openly some changes to the AFCO analytical variations, which um, I'm sure most of your viewers may know, but those are those AVs are what a lot of state regulators base um, pass fail decisions on for for routine samples um, being being misbranded. 
Um, and so we're, we're kind of started conversations around how to update those and make sure that they're reflective of what's going on now. Um, but, but yeah, there's a, a ton of conversation around copper and AVs and uh, the, the definition of, of labeling and uh, all kind of exciting things uh, for people like myself. So um, I would encourage everyone to, you know, to, to check out, you know, the recording of that meeting if, if you get time and, uh, and then come visit us in January in Chattanooga, Tennessee for our mid-year meeting. Very good. I want to thank you, Austin. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Sarah. I'm Sarah Muirhead, and you've been listening to Feedstuffs in Focus. If you would like to hear more conversations about some of the big issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and animal feed industries, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast channel, including Apple and Google Podcast. Until next time, have a great day, and thank you for listening.